young ones. Uh, there's this uh, old story uh, of a father. So father takes his son uh, and he puts him up, his young son, he puts him up on the railing of his porch. And then the, the dad goes down, uh, gets in the grass and looks up at his son and says, jump, I will catch you. And the young son is like, it's scary, like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to jump. And it blotted back and forth. The dad's like, I will catch you. Trust me. Jump. And the son finally flings himself, and he jumps. And his dad steps back out of the way and lets his son fall to the ground. And the son starts crying. And the father goes, picks up his son, calms him down, wipes his tears, and says, let this be a lesson. Don't ever trust anyone. Worst dad ever. Okay, and yet, young ones, let's talk about trust falls. Okay, uh, have y'all ever done trust falls with somebody? You know that thing where you tell your friend, like, come on, like, just turn around, don't look, and just fall, and I will catch you. Y'all ever done those? Okay, have you ever, have you ever let your friend fall? <laughs> what is that? Like, what is that? And I know it because I watch my kids do it to each other, and it's in me. Like, we all, what is that in us? Why do we do that? Anybody, like, I asked my kids, uh, and one of them said, because it's, kids, why do we, okay, why do we, why are we even tempted to let people fall? Any thoughts? What is in me? Um, and I had someone say that to me. He was like, what's wrong with you? Why would you, I, I'm not the only one. I think there is something inside of each of us that really does know deep down, oh, you should not trust me. Uh, I think there is something in each of us is like, like, yeah, I'm not trustworthy. Like the dad, like you shouldn't trust anyone because I think we have hard times trusting other people. I think this is part of why we have a hard time trusting God. We're not trustworthy. Other people aren't very trustworthy. We put that on God of God. I don't think God is very trustworthy. And here is the good news of what we're going to see today is God is not like us. God is totally trustworthy. In 1 Samuel 14, we're in the Old Testament, and we're going to read the story about the son of the first king of Israel. King Saul has a son named Jonathan. We're going to read the story about Jonathan, about him, and there, he's in the middle of this awful war, and he's with his armor bearer. He's with his, like his sidekick. And Jonathan needs encouragement to trust God. So his armor, bearers in, his armor bearer is encouraging Jonathan to trust God. And Jonathan is encouraging his armor bearer to trust God. And they encourage each other to, to put their trust in God. And they do. They trust God. And they watch God win this unwinnable war. Because then God shows them he is trustworthy. It's this crazy story we're about to read. It's awesome. And, and, and here's my question to you before we jump in. How do you know, young ones here, how do you know you can trust God? Any thoughts? How do you know you can trust God? I'll give you a hint. What war has God won for you? Any thoughts? He's won this war. You're at war with what? You're at war with your sin. You're at war with the devil. You're at war with death, and you can trust God because God has already won that war for you in the life and in the death of Jesus for you. 
that you can look at the cross and know that no matter what happens to you in this life, you will live forever because of Jesus. That is a God you can trust. And, and here's, the, here's just the, the, the most incredible thing about it is you didn't do, you cannot, you did not do anything to deserve that salvation. It's totally free. It's all by grace. Jesus has done it all even when you deserve the opposite. All you have to do to get that salvation is to trust God. This is what we're going to see today, uh, this morning, in our sermon series as we continue through the Old Testament books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And a loving uh, thank you to uh, one of my old professors, Gordon Hugenberger, Old Testament, who has taught me this stuff. Thank you, uh, standing on his shoulders here. Uh, the, the, just to get us all on the same page, context, the people of Israel, they have rejected God. So they're at this point where they've rejected God by asking for a king that's not the bad part. The bad part is they ask for a king like the nations, like the surrounding nations. And God gives them a king, the kind of king they're asking for. And it's one of those lessons of like, be careful what you ask for. So, so God gives them this king, and it's a man named Saul who seems so gifted and wonderful at the beginning, but then he too totally rejects God. This big battle between Israel and the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines are people that have been troubling for Israel for about 40 years now. This battle started with Saul, who, who really kicked things off, attacking the Philistines. He launches this offensive uh, with 3,000 soldiers. His soldiers, though, are volunteer farmers. He launches this offensive against the Philistines, who launch a massive counteroffensive. And the thing with the Philistines is they're professional soldiers. They're like, they're like Vikings before there were Vikings. They're, they're professional soldier with thousands of chariots and, and 6,000 charioteers, and it says soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Saul's army sees this, and almost everyone runs when the Philistines show up. And so Saul's army dwindles down to 600. It goes from 3,000 to 600 farmers, volunteer fighters. And this is when Saul rejects God. Uh, we'll pick up there. Please stand. So really, really just picking up where we left, left off. Uh, 1 Samuel 14. Actually going to read the last verse of 13. Uh, through uh, verse 15 and 14. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone within the passes by a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sinna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men. We'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place. We will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, 
look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where, they, uh, where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length and an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, uh, King Saul, King Saul, this is hard to say, King Saul's sin uh, that we saw last time where he rejects God, it costs him the right of dynastic succession. So, which just means Saul gets to remain king, but now his son, his grandson, they won't be kings of Israel. But, and, and here you see, like, okay, well, now we see this isn't just a terrible loss for Saul. And it's not just a terrible loss for his son, Jonathan. This is a terrible loss for Israel. Like Saul's sin costs Israel because Jonathan is an incredible man of faith. You see it here. He's an incredibly bold general and and a warrior uh, of Israel's army. This is the guy who would have been Israel's next king. So before you get to David, like here, here right here is Saul's opposite, Jonathan. It is you know, here between Saul and Jonathan, it, it, it is one thing to have a faith that thanks God. That's one thing, to have a faith that thanks God. It's one thing to thank God for a time of blessing. And Saul, Saul thanked God at a time of blessing when previously, so the previous battle before this, you know, Saul's thanking God because God raised up uh, an army for, for Saul of 330,000 men. And Saul, Saul, like at that point, Saul knew, like, who could do such a thing amongst such a people as Israel as we are now? Like, who could do this but God? Thank you, God. And they won the battle, and Saul thanks God. It's one thing to thank God uh, when you're counting blessing after blessing after blessing. It's one thing to thank God when you have prosperity, when your business is growing, when your work is prospering, when everything you touch turns to gold. When everyone is healthy, when the kids are great, when, when all the grades you're getting are A's. It, it's one thing to thank God when, when your church is in the black and, and your numbers are just growing and growing and growing, and it's a good thing for the church to grow. When God brings you numbers that, that you want, it is, it is right to think of God. It is right to thank God. But, but it's one thing to have a faith that thanks God. Saul has that kind of faith. It's another thing to have a faith that trusts God when the numbers are against you. That's the faith of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Saul is now leading an army of 600, and Saul can't trust God with those numbers. Saul knows a God that works, you know, he really works with a lot of us. Saul does not know a God that works with few of us. Saul doesn't know a God that works without us. Saul believed in a God that could accomplish his will with an army of 300,000 plus. Jonathan believed in a God that can accomplish his will with an army of two. The, you know, the faith of David versus Goliath, like, is amazing. We're, we're going to get there really, really soon. We're coming. It's coming. But that's 1v1. 
Here, here, remember the Philistines have an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Jonathan and his, it's Jonathan and his armor bearer and God. It's the, you read this stuff and you're like, how is this story not in all the children's like storybook Bibles? It, it, sometimes God, and it's not all the time, sometimes God keeps the numbers down intentionally in order to grow that faith in us that believes the faith that we need, the faith that believes it's not up to us. Like we don't save ourselves. We don't save anyone else. God does. Sometimes God does that deliberately in order to train us in that faith, the faith that trusts in a God who can do it with us or without us. A faith that trusts God no matter the circumstances. When the numbers are against you, and you're overwhelmed with like these numbers that you, some, one of you once said just this week to me, said, you know, I used to fa- think of faith this way, and now I see faith is this thing where the numbers don't add up. Exactly. Like when, you, when the numbers are against you and you are overwhelmed with the disparity between your resources and the resources of the world, will you still trust God that God can and is accomplishing his, his will? That, you know, that's the kind of it we're all like, yes, to have that kind of, oh, to have that kind of faith and to have someone standing with you in this life that shares that kind of faith. I mean, come, let us go over. It may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And the guy next to him says, do all that's within your heart. I'm with you. He's Jonathan and his armor bearer, an army of two have as much chance of winning this battle as Saul's army of 600. Uh, Jonathan has incredible faith, and yet, and yet, this guy with incredible faith, he still needs encouragement, which is precisely why the text notes that he does not tell his father Saul about this, because he knows, he knows deep, deep down, he knows his dad does not share his faith. So Jonathan tells his armor bearer his plan of attack, and the armor bearer's response, this is where we can just get desensitized. Like, these are just, ah, oh, these are just, you know, more Bible stories of, you know, this is cool stuff. Like, we forget you're reading history. This is, you should expect the armor bearer to say something like, hey, let's go over there. And the armor bearer says, no, 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 And I can't let you do this. I got to tell your dad. Like, this isn't healthy. You're not well. You know, or, or you know, you take the, the passive way of, Jonathan, what faith? No one in Israel has got faith like you got. I I just, I am in awe. It's been a pleasure working for you. I'm just going to slow you down. I'll be praying for you. Or he could have discouraged Jonathan, you know, by coming up with one of those better ideas. You know how, like, you throw out an idea, and then the person goes, and I was like, that's a good idea. But what if, you know, he could, like, you know, Jonathan, great idea, like, brilliant, yes. Um, But... Mm, what if we stay here and we make them cross this dangerous ravine and come to us? That stuff of like, this thing is Bozes and this thing is Sinna. Bozes means slippery. The other side is thorny. What if we make them come down the slippery, thorny ravine to us? And then, and then, and then, ha, 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 and then, and then we'll get the rest of the soldiers to come and pounce on them. Why don't we try that? It, it's shocking to hear what this guy actually says, as amazing as Jonathan's faith is, his armor bearer shares the same faith. 
and trust God like this. A faith, and so here, like a faith that trusts God is a faith that encourages. The armor bearer says to Jonathan, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. The Hebrew, oh my gosh, how does the Hebrew not, like the translation not capture this? This is so much more beautiful. The Hebrew actually says, armor bearer says, do as you with. I, do as you wish. I am with you as your heart. So let's think back. Think back on the week at work, at home, amongst family, friends, coworkers, acquaintances. Did you share? Did you share uh, in this experience of having uh, having offer, offered up what you thought was a pretty good idea, uh, only to have it shot down? Like what you heard was criticism, or or maybe what you heard, what you know, little snide comments, or or maybe you were just ignored, and you walked away feeling what discouraged, or you flip it. Did you have a moment this week where you did offer up your two cents and the response was adulation, like congratulation, like celebration, brilliant, and you walked away feeling like <sighs> encouraged? Or, you know, flip it the other way, uh, like how many of you did something this week, uh, said something this week, and then the response was uh, from the other person, uh, not, not, just, not just general encouragement, you did something, you said something, and they encouraged your faith. And then one more flip. Uh, think back on the week. Did you encourage anyone in their faith this week? This is what we are here to do with one another. It is a thing of you continually encourage those who are not doing well and those who are doing well. Jonathan's faith here is strong, and he needs encouraging. Uh, we're here to encourage one another's faith. Encouraging each other in the faith. It starts with, you know, what does that look like? Well, it, it's got to at least start with recognizing each other as belonging to the same faith. Like there is, there is this, there is a us versus them. There is an us versus them mentality you're supposed to have. But it's not us versus us. It's not us versus us in here. We recognize that we're for each other and we do have a common, common enemy and our common enemy is the devil and it's sin and it's death. It's communicating to each other, life is hard and then you die. And you're not crazy, as we say to it, and you're not crazy for struggling and you're not crazy uh, uh, for, for wanting different uh, and, and Jesus has overcome. And Jesus has not abandoned you. And I, I don't know what you're going through, uh, uh, all of it. And I don't understand why you're going, what you're going through. But I know he's not abandoned you. And I know he loves you. And I know he's with you. And I know he's with us. It's encouraging each other uh, in the sense of it, it is encouraging each other is embracing each other with God's love. Embracing each other with the grace of Jesus Christ. That is an, ooh, if you're going to, you got to know what you're in for. That is an intimate and loving embrace. To go to each other with the grace of Jesus, encouraging one another, is building one another up in the knowledge of Jesus. It's building one another, building one another up in, in obedience to Jesus. And we do that patiently, and we do that graciously, wisely, and we do it intentionally. Over and over and again and again, week to week, day to day. 
Faith that trusts God is faith that encourages the people of God to trust in God. And Jonathan in the armor bearer's faith is all the more amazing because Jonathan says to the armor bearer, he says it this way. This is what his encouragement sounds like. Come, let's go over. Maybe. Maybe the Lord will work for us. He says, perhaps the Lord will work for us. And people, some people hear that and they think, ooh, that's not good faith. That's, that's, come on. That's like praying, Lord, if it's your will, which is just a cop-out. Like it's really just giving God like an out in case your prayer is an answer and then you can still claim to have this faith in God. Like, no, don't, pray. like name it and claim it. Uh, like God, do this and I believe you'll do it. Don't suggest in your prayer that he might not or you might jinx it. There's so many problems with that. Uh, erroneous, like erroneous. Faith that trusts and encourages is faith that perhaps is. Uh, recognizing the perhaps, recognizing the maybe is the, is the definition of bold faith. Uh, one of you just showed me a 2007, can't, 2007, 2007 documentary uh, about NASA's missions to the moon in the 60s and the 70s. It's called In the Shadow of the Moon. It's fantastic, all about the Apollo program. Uh, and, and there's one clip of JFK's address at right here in Houston at Rice University, 1962, <clears throat> talking about our space effort. And he says this, <clears throat> we shall send to the moon, 240,000 miles away, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, fitted together with, with a precision better than the finest watch, on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of, uh, of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half of that of the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today. It was so hot at Rice that day and they're outside. And, and do all this, and do all this, and do it right, and do it first before this decade is out. Then we must be bold. And then you fast forward in this documentary, you fast forward a, a few years to 1968, and the race is on with Russia to get to the moon first. Another clip of astronaut uh, uh, Jim Lovell, it, you know, Jim Lovell, is that ring about like Apollo 13, Houston, we have a problem, that Jim Lovell. He was on Apollo 8, and he said in this documentary, said, if you were a script writer for the movies, you could not have picked a better scenario than Apollo 8. We hear from the CIA that the Russians are going to send a spacecraft around the moon with a person in it and upstage us. If they, or, you know, another ab, uh, astronaut saying, if they orbit the moon before we land on the moon, then they've gotten there first. And then Lovell says, so we changed our plans on Apollo 8. They changed the mission from an Earth orbitable, orbital type mission to a flight to the moon. And it was a bold move. It had some risky aspect to it, aspects to it, but it was a time when we made bold moves. Yeah, you just, oh, it's incredible. Like, the maybe, the perhaps of Jonathan's faith, it's not less faith, it's great faith. It's bold, it's letting God be God. It's believing God, he can do the impossible, and then recognizing, and he'll decide whether or not he wants to do the impossible. And if he doesn't, if he decides not to do the impossible, he's no less God, no less than the God, no less God, the God who can do the impossible. I mean, years, 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 years later, when the, the nation of Israel has shrunk to just the tribe of Judah, Judah is taken into captivity, into Babylon. 
And there are three Jews there who refuse to bow down and worship to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And they're threatened with it, bow down or you will die. And not just like die, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And this is what they say. They say, okay, if so, uh, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. He can do it, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to stop worshiping him. I mean, Jesus, when Jesus uh, is healing, uh, when he's healing people, you don't hear Jesus say, do you believe I will heal you? Jesus says, do you believe I can heal you? Faith that trusts is faith that, I don't know how to say this, is faith that perhaps is. Uh, of like, we should pray like this. God, if you will. Because it's knowing God is able to do the impossible and then let God be God. And whatever he decides to do, he's still God and you're still going to worship and trust him. Jonathan, he doesn't have a death wish. He's not crazy. He qualifies. Say to us, wait, with a really, really important addition here. He says, we'll cross over to them. We'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, okay, fine, we'll wait there. We'll take them on there. But if they say, come up to us, we're going up. For the Lord has given them into our hand. That will be the sign for us. This, again, this is the point where you expect uh, the arm bearer to come up with all those nah, nah, bad, 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 bad military idea. Uh, Jonathan, yeah, okay, fine, bad military idea. Theologically, though, it's brilliant. If the Philistines looking down on you hate you, mock you, dare you to come up to them for a nice reception, they're not just mocking you. Jonathan knows they're mocking God. And at that point, it does not matter if it's an army of two. If you know your history, which Jonathan knows, in, in the case uh, uh, here, uh, like, you know your God has decimated Egypt. You know your God has uh, uh, brought down the impenetrable walls of Jericho. You know your God has, has overcome the Canaanite armies. Jonathan's point is to the Philistines, you shouldn't have come to the battlefield in the first place. So what happens? Jonathan and his armor bearer, they go up, and the two of them overcome 20 professional Philistine soldiers. And that's the fuse that blows this thing up. Uh, this sends the rest of the army into a panic. And, and then fuel on the fire is God. I don't know if you, did you catch that at the very, very end? Last verse, God sends a very well-timed earthquake. Saul didn't think an army of 600 farmer soldiers could defeat an innumerable force, which begs the question, how did Saul think an army of 3,000 farmer soldiers could defeat an innumerable, well-armed, well-trained Philistine force? I mean, how does an army of 3,000, how does an army of 600 farmers defeat an innumerable military force? Well, it's the same way an army of two does. Same, same as an army of two, one who has a sword and one who has a shovel. It, it's this thing, God. And this is verse 19. We actually didn't read this verse. This is later. This is just a few verses later in the same chapter. Saul hears over in his cave, he hears the craziness going on. The tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow and there was very great confusion. 
it actually worked out pretty, pretty well that the Philistines were so well armed because they turn on each other. So really, really good that their sh- swords were super, super sharp. Like this is what God does. He takes the, uh, the weapon of the enemy and he turns it back on the enemy. You know, this is the enemy falling into his own trap. In, in the greatest movie that has ever been made in The Princess Bride, Princess Buttercup has been kidnapped by three outlaws, a short Sicilian boss named Vincini, a, uh, a giant from Greenland named Fezzik, uh, a Spanish fencing master named Inigo Montoya who seeks revenge against a six-fingered man who killed his father. The outlaws realize that they're being pursued by a masked man in black. The man in black catches up to the outlaws at the top of the Cliffs of Insanity. Does this not sound like the greatest movie ever? It is. The man in black, he defeats Inigo uh, in a duel, knocks him unconscious. He beats Fezzik in a wrestling match, knocks him unconscious, and then he finally gets to the boss. He gets to Vincini, Vincini, and he challenges him to a battle of wits for the life of the princess. Uh, battle of wits to the death. Vincini, having compared himself already to the likes of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, who he considers to be morons, he readily accepts the challenge. Uh, and so this is what the man in black does. The man in black shows Vicini that uh, he's carrying iocane powder. It is among the more deadlier po- poisons known to man. Vicini watches as the man in black takes two wine goblets uh, and, uh, and pours, or, or he takes two wine goblets, uh, he turns around uh, and, and turns back around and he's poisoned. He's poisoned one of the goblets. Uh, and he leaves it up to Vincini. Shuffles the goblets. He puts one in front of him. He puts one in front of Vincini, and he explains, all right, where's the poison? The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and find out who is right and who is dead. And Vicini then goes, he goes back and forth just displaying the powers of logic, deducing this and that about the man in black, which he, he's like, he's nailing it. He's like, you think he's in trouble. Uh, and then uh, what he does at the very, very end, he distracts the man in black who, who turns around and he switches goblets behind him real quick. And then he proposes, and then he proposes that they each drink from their own glasses and they do. And the man in black says, you guessed wrong. And Vicini goes off. You only think I guessed wrong. That's what's so funny. I switched glasses while your back was turned. And he's just, ha ha, you fool. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders, the most famous of, famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly well, less well-known as this. Never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line, and then he just goes into this maniacal laugh, ha, 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 and then he falls over dead mid-laugh. And Princess Buttercup is totally relieved, but she cannot believe Vicini got it wrong. And the man in black explains uh, about the cups of wine. They were both poisoned. I spent a few years building up an immunity to iocane powder. It's just like, and, and when I was a kid, I didn't get it. I'm like, wait, I still don't get it. Uh, Vicini thought he was trapping them in reality with his weapons of supreme intelligence and logic and deception. And in reality, the whole thing was a setup, set up by the man in black who used the enemy's weapon against him, used his own powers of supreme intelligence against him. This is this is what God is doing here on the battlefield, and it is this total foreshadowing to the cross and the ultimate war that will happen there, where the ultimate judge will use the ultimate weapon of our enemy against the enemy himself. You know, what Jonathan and his armor bearer did with, with an unstoppable enemy 
is what Jesus will do with Satan on the cross. The devil's power over us, it is death. Because of our sin, we really, really, really do deserve death. And we really deserve like forever death, hell. So Jesus comes and he takes our sin and he takes our death. He takes our hell force on the cross in our place. And with Jesus on the cross, the devil thinks he is one. But in reality, on the cross, Jesus takes the enemy's weapon. He takes death right out of Satan's hands. And he uses it against him to save us. And the question to us is, do you believe God can accomplish our salvation himself? You've got to hear how I said it. Do you believe our God can accomplish our salvation himself? Do you believe in a God who can answer, and here's a real take, do you believe in a God who can answer your prayers himself? If not, what are we praying for? I mean, do we pray just to motivate ourselves to work harder? Do we pray just to to motivate ourselves to do more, to to motivate ourselves to believe harder? I mean, what is that? Believe what harder? Believe in yourself harder? When we pray, do we believe God will answer our prayers? Do you believe he can if he so chooses? Just perhaps. Here's a question. Do you believe God can accomplish his will with even zero of us? Another one of my Old Testament professors uh, said, uh, it is difficult to understand why things occur as they do, why people think or behave the way they do at an individual level, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in control and can be trusted no matter what the circumstances, as difficult as that is to do. This is when I asked him, what's the challenge facing the church? He said, that, no matter what the circumstances. And he said, and only the Lord's wisdom and strength can meet the challenge. Let's pray. So, Father, uh, with the gospel on our hearts, on our minds, uh, we praise you as the God of our salvation. Uh, and, and we come uh, wanting to trust you with our lives today, uh, the lives of our loved ones today, uh, the lives of our friends. Lord, we, we even want to trust you with the lives of our enemies. Father, give us that kind of trust. Give us the kind of trust that encourages one another here to believe on that gospel. Give us the kind of trust, that, the, the kind of faith that, that will pray such things as, uh, uh, boldly uh, uh, in such a manner as perhaps Perhaps you will continue to do bold things here in our congregation, here in Houston, amongst your many churches here in Houston, here in America, here in the world, across your world, as your people go out with the gospel. Give us that kind of faith, we pray. Give us that kind of trust, we pray. In Christ's name and for his glory, amen.